If you blink now, forever hold your dying wish When you set your goal, don't give up on it Remind yourself every morning, noon and night I was born for this, and it's worth the fight Hey guys, in this show, we talk about everything from addictions, mental health Any stigma out there that we're wanting to end You know, make people afraid to not want to talk about these things you know, in this episode with Roland Vandal, we talk about childhood trauma, talking about his addiction to crack cocaine, growing up in Winnipeg and becoming homeless. He was abused by his boxing coach at 13 years old. He's lived with mental illness and PTSD for a lot of his life, and he's spoken all over Canada well over 700 times to tell his story. He's been clean and sober for 18 years and counting. Let's break into this week's episode, guys. But before we do, let's talk about how you can support the show. Head over to Anchor FM and leave me a voice message. Let me know how I'm doing with the show. I love feedback, everyone. Or head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and leave a little write-up and what you think of each episode if you do feel compelled to do so. But now, let's break into this episode with Roland Vandell. He has such an amazing and empowering story, guys. Trust your stick, a perfect landing. Remember to follow your heart. If it scares the daylights out of you, you're off to a good start. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success. I'm your host, Chris Swick. You can go follow the show over on Instagram at depths of dark side. Now, with no further ado, let's introduce to you the next guest on the show, Roland Vandell, all the way from Winnipeg. He's a boxing great. You know, he's helped lots of people out in the community, you know, with boxing and stuff like that. You want to take away and let them know a little bit about yourself, Roland? Well, I can tell you I'm a way better coach than a boxer, so, but uh, <laughs> I did give it a shot. You know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, like um, uh, 18 years ago, I was homeless on the street and uh fighting for my life and uh and i uh, had a lot of childhood trauma and and um abuse couldn't get by it drugs and alcohol wasn't actually even my problem it was my solution but then the solution stopped working right and uh but ever since that i walked into treatment and uh and i got sober and um yeah my whole life has turned around right so and so how how did you end up what was your rock bottom uh rolling uh may 15 2002 i uh I was in and out of hotels and uh, and I was completely addicted to crack cocaine and and uh, I'd had enough and I wrote a suicide note to my son Jesse and uh, and uh, I drank a bottle of methadone and went to sleep. Ironically, I woke up. Uh, well, that would have been May 14th, so I woke up on May 15th and uh, and I had gone to the bathroom both places in my pants and uh, and I threw up all over myself and ironically that should save my life and. Uh, I woke up and I was admitted to the health science center and I've been sober ever since. That's amazing, man. You know, and was that when you had become homeless or were you homeless at this point too? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, was he, were this, was this on the streets of Winnipeg or. Yeah, it was, I was living in and out of hotels, couch surfing, like, uh, you know, like, um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. Um, I'd cling on to people with money and then we get hotel rooms and, and, 
And my every every waking breath was uh, committed to smoking crack cocaine. And how did you get to that point? Like, what were you using it for? Were you suppressing that you just mentioned earlier about childhood trauma and stuff? Like, was that at the hands of your parents or friends or? I think, yeah, no, I, like my parents, my dad was an alcoholic and my mom, they were good people, right? And, uh, but they were at the bar a lot and uh, my brother and all of his friends were, would take over the house and, and uh, a lot of abuse happened there and, and uh, I was abused by a boxing coach when I was about 13, 14 years old. I was very physically abused. I just couldn't get, I, I still, I still have, I still live with it. I live with mental illness. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And a good way to explain that is to, you know, trying to have a conversation with a record playing in the back. You know, in the back of my brain, I have a record player, player playing and reliving my abuse. And, uh, and trying to have a conversation with somebody and trying to stay on point is this this type of thing actually helps me because I can stay focused. And you know, as I tell my story, I've I've actually spoken all over Canada and the US well over 700 times. And uh and yeah, my life my life has turned out really good sober, right? So um one day at a time, as they say, right? That's that's what you can only do it one day at a time, I find too, you know what I mean? Well, that's the key is emotionally living one day at a time. And that's what that actually means is, you know, emotionally, I leave the good and bad in today. And I wake up tomorrow morning and I start each day brand new with a fresh, fresh, clean slate. Leave room for improvement and leave room, you know, just don't carry everything over to the next day. And and uh, that that theory and that kind of discipline seems to work for me, right? Like if I'm pissed off at you today, I'm not going to be pissed off at you tomorrow. <laughs> You know what I mean, I'll, I've learned to let it go and move on and and uh, don't carry things over, right? Like people are allowed to make mistakes and they're allowed to say the wrong things. I say stupid shit all the time, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not immune to that. I'm definitely not perfect. And being an ex-gang guy, like I hung around that world and hung around the biker world and I hung around all that stuff and I had a very violent life and... and uh, you know, so so person like me, I get sober. You know, I'm 18 years sober, but I've it's been hard, man. Like the whole the whole idea is it's not about the drugs or, or alcohol. It's about being happy and living a comfortable, committed, solid, happy life when you're not doing those things. If you can't find happiness sober, then what the fuck's the point, right? Like uh I thought for the longest time you couldn't, you know, do fun things or you know, have fun clean and sober or whatever. But was I fucking wrong, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I, I love my life now, right? And I wouldn't trade it. As the saying goes in the recovery rooms, uh, I wouldn't trade my best day, my worst day today for my best day using. <laughs> and I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't. Like, uh, I have problems today, but they're quality problems, first world problems. And, and I'm okay, you know, and... I was on the street in this weather and it was cold outside, right? And and um and I'm very empathetic to that and I help out a lot. And I went, I got fly, flew out to LA and uh and I got named one of the top 100 leaders, community leaders and speakers in Canada and the US. And uh it was quite it was quite an it was quite a an honor, you know, and uh and it was pretty cool to be considered something like that because 
you know, I'll tell you one thing, like, uh, my best thinking, not today, but the majority of my life, especially battling with mental illness and, and, uh, a battle you can only win by surrender. <laughs> you know, uh, I got introduced to a power greater than myself and, and I call that power my dad. My dad died when I was 25 and, and I pray and I act like my dad is, uh, you know, I hope he's proud of me these days. Right. And, uh, um, I'm sure he is by all these things I see on the wall behind you, man. All these articles about you, it looks like, and things that you've been involved in. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. I, uh, but you know what? It's just you put your, your, your best foot forward and get your out. You know, there's no, how do they say it? You know, life's not boring. If you're boring, life is not boring. You're boring. <laughs> you know, there's lots to do out there, man. You know, like get involved in your community and help out and and uh, be a person of value. Like I'm always busy and I'm always on the go. And, and it's hard though, buddy, man, you know, because like uh, it seems like the better I do and the more I accomplish, the more I get bashed out there. You know what I mean? Like people love to hate others. I don't know why it's like that. I, I'm not like that. Hey, eh? like. Oh, I hear you. It's like, I feel the same way, you know what I mean, as you in so, in some sense, you know, that I had the same DOC as you, you know what I mean? And But not just that, like just my mentality though and stuff like that, you know, I'm always on the go, but people are always hating for you doing the next right thing sometimes. It's weird. I've never, I've <laughs> see, even all my, my ex, uh, my, like, not my ex, how do I say it? My biker buddies. I've known them since childhood. And they're the first ones that, to support me and and encourage me to lead the right road and help others. And, like, they're so for me being a better person. And, like, uh, it's nice to have that friendship, though, right? Yeah, like, that's, those are long 35-year friendships. But some of the people, some of the people, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it because I don't want to be too negative. But, like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's just tough. Uh, but you're being honest, though. You're being honest. Recovery is a lonely road, right? Like, uh, definitely, it can know, be. I've helped out in corrections for 17 years. Uh, I've done lots in community, and uh, and and it's been and it's been good, though, right? Like, I don't have any expectations attached. I just really want to be a good person. Why? Because my sons watch. They see what I'm doing. You know, my sons. Uh, I have a 19 year old boy and I have a 20, 27 year old boy. And, uh, and, uh, how is your relationship today with them? Um, my, my 19 year old, I, I, it struggles, you know, he's a good boy and he'll come around. He'll come around eventually. He's had a hard little life himself. I never really knew about him until I got into recovery. Right. And, and, uh, so we've had, we've had, a we've had a good relationship. And it's it's still pretty good. He's a good guy, right? So, you know, and uh, and my my son Jesse, he's uh he's a good he's me and him are really tight. We have, we have, he he actually I'm best friends with his mom. She's happily remarried twenty seven years, and we're best friends. And we went out since grade eight, and and uh, and once I got sober, she welcomed me back into their life, and and uh, and she's got a really good husband, and uh, you know we all get along good. And, it's nice to have that blended family, I like to call it. Yeah, yeah, I know it's really nice because if anybody in this world has any reason to hate me, it's my ex-wife. So I don't even know why anybody else would hate me because because if she hate, if she has any reason to hate me, it would be her. You know what I mean? Like uh I I feel you there. 
And she doesn't mean her get along great. <laughs> Talk all the time and uh, it's beautiful, right? So. No, it's nice to see that, you know, at least that you were welcome back in when you got clean. It's funny what comes back into your life, you know, the, the miracles do happen, as they say. And you know what? Her and her husband are probably two of the best people I've ever met. They're just really, really good people, right? And uh, and I appreciate that. I never had, I ever wanted to ruin something like that in my life because of my personality and my attitude, right? So, No, most definitely, Roland. It sounds like, you know, you're, lead, you're leading an awesome life now, you know what I mean? Giving back what was so freely given to you. So how did you get into the boxing, you know? Was that only, well, you were into boxing in your teens, you had mentioned earlier, because that's when some of the abuse had happened. But how did you get back into boxing then? Like, did you just, like, wake up when you got cleaned up and sober 18 years ago and you're like, I'm getting back into boxing? Or Well, I knew it's something I always wanted to do, go back to. And uh, But, yeah, after I got sober, I got out of treatment and uh, and I went back to boxing and... Uh, but moreover, like, I didn't necessarily want to fight. I wanted to be a coach because I believe in symbolism and uh, symbolically of that coach that abused me. I wanted to go and I want to be a good coach. And that's what I really wanted to do. And I think I've done that, right? And, and uh, right out of treatment, I went back to boxing at the Pan Am Boxing Club. That's from my uncle, Dan Vandell. Uh, he uh, was a boxer. And that's where I boxed when I was really young. and. Uh, and anyways, I won the North American, uh, the Native North American Ringside Tournament in Kansas City. And uh, I was about half and half as an amateur. And then I was getting up in age. So I was like, I better go pro. If I'm going to do it, I better I'm gonna do it now. And and I went pro and I just retired a couple of years ago with an 0-5 pro boxing record. So I never won one. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you gave it a good shot, right? Yeah, it was fun. Anyways, it keeps me in shape. No, no doubt. But you work out on a daily basis too, then I bet. Well, I haven't been lately, but I, uh, yeah, I usually do it like I did for years and years and years, but it's kind of hard when you don't have that, uh, end goal, right? Like when you, when I have a, when I had a fight coming up, you, ha you have to work out daily. Like it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty important to be in shape, right? For especially boxing. For sure. No, I know all about that. Like I, not myself personally, but like boxing's there's in my family too. I think I'd mentioned to you in through messages and stuff but you know my cousin's a two i think it's a two or three time you know north um uh sorry national champion in her weight class and stuff and you know he she was going to go fight for her uh dad's country guyana at the olympics this upcoming olympics and then that you know got put on a halt because <laughs> she has dual tavina coom oh it's, it kind of sounds familiar i think yeah and you know there's lots of good uh boxing that's come out of our city where I'm from, man. Boxing's, a, yeah, good old, the, the Vanderpools and. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, Ontario's strong, hey? Yeah. Ontario and Quebec are strong for boxing. Ontario, Quebec, and BC. Yeah, they, they seem to be like, there's been really good boxers, especially from like my, I'm originally from Kitchener, Ontario. There's so many boxers out of there, like, like the Vanderpool brothers, Steve Molitor's from down here too. He's, he's an IBF champion, you know, uh, Lennox Lewis. <laughs> All, it's just, I, I think a lot of it too is the pool though, right? Because there's so many people. Yeah, no, if for you, sure. If you go per capita, like, uh, you know, that's where the numbers, it comes and down to a numbers game, right? Like per capita. But boxing's I mean, changed so many people's lives too. It's, it's, it's awesome to see. 
you know i have other friends that are into you know muay thai and all those types of like but it's all just discipline stuff yeah i agree <laughs> is that what you like about it the discipline when i was in the problem and drinking and partying and using and stuff and i really had no discipline or commitment and those are the things i look for in my life these days ever since i got sober i know that that's what healthy people and successful people have in their life they have discipline they have routine they have consistency and you know what i mean like there's uh not a lot of surprises they're pretty uh willing and open minded and that's what you got to be right like uh so you know i i try to i try to behave that way right cuz you know it's really, it's important it's really, and that's what men do right like that's i think what our job is right so yeah no and have you had the opportunity to coach some successful boxers in your time being a coach Yeah, I coached Team Manitoba and we came away with uh four medals, I think. Oh, that was at the Canada Games? Yeah, in Halifax, yeah. Nice. And you you enjoyed doing that though? Like those guys? That was a blast, buddy. Like they, I remember I was sitting with all the boys and we were sitting there and the, the national anthem was being sung in. And I'm a sap of my best moments, right? And uh <laughs> and uh the tears are flowing and I was so happy. I went all the guys and uh And this is something I wanted to do ever since I was uh, as far back as I can remember and uh especially getting sober I knew I knew that I I just wanted to be a good coach you know because because what happened to me with that coach it just lived it stayed with me forever right so Yeah were you able to forgive this person this individual Um I actually tried to track him down a few times I don't know if it was going to be forgiveness or not but uh <laughs> but uh i he ended up he ended up dying i'm not sure he was actually like uh i went on a trip and he was a strange he was a strange coach from another from another town so i didn't really know him nobody knew a lot of him so he just took all the guys on a trip right so any any you know did some shit obviously he wasn't supposed to do yeah that's right No, and I can relate to that too, you know, and it happened to me at a young age and that's sort of what drove me into basically a rolling spiral for, you know, 25 plus years too of using and abusing since my like a young age at 10, 11 years old. And it's very common, I think, hey, like uh you know, it's actually very, very common. Like I help a lot of people and I only came out about it about not even two years ago. You know what I mean? That that's what was eating away at me all that time. You know what I mean? I kept relapsing and stuff like that, but I wasn't. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's been a different you, change since I let that out of me, especially. You got to be rigorously honest, right? Like that's it's it's imperative, right? Exactly. You know, and it's a work in progress every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, life life is not just handed to you. Well, and I'm not. You know, it's it's nice to. You know, being clean isn't just about being clean from drugs and alcohol. It's being a clean person, right? And and I, I don't even litter, man. You know, like I, I feel bad if I miss the garbage can at Tim Hortons, right? Like uh, I'll stop my truck and pick it up. You know what I mean? Like I I lead, I lead a good clean life, right? And uh, and I just really believe spiritually that's the way it's got to be. You know? No, most definitely. If you got to do it in every area of life, not just one area. <laughs> There was one thing with my ex-wife um after I got sober. I looked at myself in the mirror and and uh you know, I owed her $9,000 in child support. She was always, you know, like she was always just really supportive to me, right? But like uh you know, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, "You know what? You, you're a fucking deadbeat dad." 
<laughs> and the cheer again, the cheers are going and the cheers are going. And uh and uh, I ended up getting like me and her. She she's always invited me into their lives whenever, you know, and uh she's always loved me and and uh and anyways I uh she had made this enforcement on me because she's all rolling, you're not getting away with it. You're not getting away with it. I want my money. <laughs> and uh and she do it so kindly, right? And but anyway, she had made this enforcement on me. So whenever I worked. I would get my, my checks taken, right? Rightfully, they should be. And, uh, but anyways, finally, she, uh, I, I got it down to $3,000. I worked my ass off because I knew it's, it was one of my main goals in recovery is I wanted to pay my ex-wife back, right? I didn't want to be that kind of a, of a person for myself, right? And like, uh, and I worked my ass off and I paid her down to 3000 She finally phoned me and said, okay, roll, that's enough. And she erased the rest. And uh, that's nice of her. It's all about the, it's all about those things, right? Like no matter what. And if you have five or ten of those things, they're all hanging out there in space. You know, you're not taking care of none of that shit. Like, you know, like all that stuff makes for more drinking, right? And makes for more partying. And and uh, so no, yeah. most definitely. And and I'm slowly still pecking away at some of my debt two years later, but it's it's coming along, man. You know? It takes a while, man. You got to be patient with yourself, right? It takes oh, a while. Oh, for sure. It's it's one one like like baby steps at a time, you know, for everything that I do. Yeah. <laughs> As like we... I'm forty. I'm forty nine years old now, and uh, you know, I spent all my thirties repairing my twenties, and uh, it's just been in my forties where I've become comfortable and everything's good, and you know, because I lived I lived half my life with that feeling of. Uh, conscious separation and, and feeling apart from and you know ever since I was a kid you know I used to cut myself and all that kind of stuff and you know those the waves of uh thought in my head was you're no good you're all alone nobody likes you what's the point anyhow you're a piece of shit you know what I mean all that kind of stuff I I I uh that's how I was to myself I was brutally hard on myself and uh and now these days at 49 years old and a lot of it comes from growth and maturity right but like uh i actually feel like a 49 year old <laughs> and that makes me really happy i, I love my life because in a program i'm in it says the best years of our existence lie ahead and 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 i believe that you know i, I look forward i would look forward to my future and and uh and i'm lucky i'm a lucky man right I met a good girl and she's absolutely amazing. And I've been single for 10 years of my life, you know, and last I, a whole decade I was single for it. And, Finding uh, yourself again, right? But I just knew I needed to make room because I'm a really busy guy, right? And so I had to clean house and make room. And then when I did that about three and a half years ago, the opportunity presented itself and uh, I'm all, hey, this is a really good woman, you know, and uh, whether it works out or not, well, I'm still going to be able to be friends with her. and. It's all good, right? So that's awesome, man. You know, congratulations on that, man. You know, wish you all the best with that. So what gives your life meaning today, Roland? Uh, helping others. I'm part of, uh, I'm 10 years on the board of directors of uh, uh, the Red Road Lodge. It's in a, it's, it was formerly uh, the Occidental Hotel and it was one of the most notorious bars in, uh, in uh, Manitoba. And uh, so uh, a friend of mine, Richard, uh richard walls he took the bar over took out all the vlts um canceled the liquor license and opened uh 
uh, homeless homeless shelter. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's a so I'm ten years on the board now, and I'm and I just got named the the president and chair of the Red Road Lodge, and uh, and it's a lot of work. So I enjoy all that kind of stuff, and I enjoy the boxing and and public speaking, and uh, and yeah, right. Life has been good to me. It's just throwing gifts at me, right? So that no, that's that's awesome. That you know, I love hearing stories like that. You know, especially with the homeless and stuff. That there needs to be more of these things. More, yeah. Of, they they got a there's they lack everywhere that 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 holds a close to my heart man because I see all the people in my town you know wherever you are man and stuff like that like I went the other day but this guy runs a tight ship I love the what this guy does and he one of the you know the elders he calls himself the elder of the homeless people that's but he's an older older gentleman but he has a book and people he bring him donations but he divvies it up and checks everyone's name off that it's on the list and they get they he makes sure everyone gets equally though like he runs a tight ship down where he has but i like what he's doing though man but you know i'll bring i brought him clothes you know and stuff like that or i'll stop by and say hi sometimes man i like him you know the most ironic part about homelessness is i gotta be careful because sometimes i can fall into envy and uh and i spend a lot of time talking to homeless people and you know what a lot of people, contrary to what others believe, a lot of homeless people are perfectly happy being homeless. I've I've talked to some I've talked to some like that too. I know exactly what you're saying. I can, they can do what they want when they want, uh, come and go as they please. They got nobody on their backs. You know what I mean? And like uh, no responsibilities. And you know, sometimes they fall. I gotta watch it. Don't fall in, fall too much into envy because you know it. Can you blame them, right? And then there's guys like me who take on the world and complain about how busy I am, you know. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's, it's bittersweet, right? No, for sure, it, it is bittersweet. But I just think there's lots of. I, I'm glad you brought that up, though. There's just lacking everywhere, funding wise, too, for the homeless, for the addictions, mental health, and stuff. There needs to be more, and I'm seeing more and more slowly for the advocacy. advocacy for it and stuff like that and i and i appreciate it you know what i mean but it's a long ways coming you know what i mean there's a couple of statistics i'll probably get it wrong but i won't be too far off um there's a thing called a senu report c-e-n-u and i read this but it was i guess about 10 years ago maybe maybe more um probably 15 years ago and it it was statistics about how much it costs the taxpayer to house one person in jail for one year. By the time they go through uh, police, uh, remand, feeding, housing, judges, lawyers, they, they broke it all down kind of thing, if, if I get it right. And they were saying it was upwards about $500,000 a year to house one inmate in jail. I, I believe it. You'd think if they could take that, if they could take that money and put it on the, proactive side of things into housing and uh and getting people better and and uh and treatment and all that kind of stuff psych stuff and you know they they may be able to prevent a lot of the incarceration and criminalizing people right and like like how, how many people like i don't know how old you are i'm 49 but i'm like I'm, many- I'm just under just a little more than 10 years younger than you oh okay yeah but like how many people will you would know of a lot of people too, like uh, through your journey that uh, 
that have, have been jailed for nonviolent drug and alcohol offenses. And what now they're going to legalize pot and all those people are still going to have their criminal records for life. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, man. No, I hear you. And, you know, it's, it's like you just said, I talked to a person really recently, you know, a former gang member in, in the, in Regent Park in Toronto, you know, in the housing projects there, but he's giving back now, but he said pretty much the same thing, you know, take that money and put it towards other things like, like fighting the gun violence going on in the housing projects in Toronto. You know what I mean? Like yeah, put it towards other things or the addictions and stuff like that. And you know, you, you would have a lot less of this stuff, people in jail for these nonviolent offenses. Right. You know, there, there's other ways to do things than put, put incarcerate someone. You're right, man. Well, and I think there's a lot of studies around the world and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of models that really, really work. And, you know, you have to draw off those models and, and implement them into what works, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm not the judge or jury here to decide that. But no, I like the topic, though, man, because I, I'm with you on this, man. Mm-hmm. So if someone asked you, Roland, to give to for you to give them a random piece of advice, what would you tell them? Work on your sense of self and don't take, don't take things too seriously. You know, they should teach this stuff in school, but somebody's sense of self is probably the most important thing that you'll ever own in this world. And, and uh and my, my sense of self was determined always by what you thought of me. And when, you, when you're walking through life and you're, your sense of self is always determined by what others think of you, you don't have a sense of self. And that's when you're prone to make the biggest uh, mistakes and poor decisions ever, right? And uh, people-pleasing, dominated by what other people think, you know, not having an identity and, you know, try, you know being a, a chameleon and just you know, I used to have lots of different types and sets of friends and I was, I was friends with all of them. Right. And, uh, you could just make yourself into who you wanted to be. Right. I can totally relate there, man. hundred, 150% man, you know, and it, well, look at, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful that social media wasn't around in my heyday because like, it's bad, man. Even like the, the texting, emailing, social media messaging, like there's so much information coming in on these smartphones. Sometimes I don't even want to get rid of my phone. You know, like there's so much information coming in and it's so hard to keep up with everything. And, and uh, you got to set boundaries though, too, I find. Well, and it's no wonder there's so much stress and stress and anxiety in the world, right? It's Oh, I hear you. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's not confined to people with drug and alcohol problems, right? Or gambling problems. It's, it goes, it's a big spectrum of things, man. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, you definitely have to set boundaries around all those types of things like um, social media. And I, I was bad for so long and I still can be bad. I got to catch myself and nip it in the ass sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what? You can catch yourself just like scrolling away aimlessly for hours. <laughs> and you're so immersed in it and enmeshed in it. And you know what I mean? Like for me to get rid of all my social media and, even my smartphone, like it's, I'm so immersed in it, uh, or I don't know how to say that, but like I'm trapped in it. You know no, I know that? exactly what you're saying. You're you're just invested, pretty much. Yeah, like it's become a lifestyle, right? It is, and, and unfortunately, like I need it for work, though, too. Like I, I'm in sales That's and what stuff. I'm saying, yeah, 
like unfortunately it's just something that i i wouldn't be able to live without because you know most of your stuff's done off a phone or a laptop or whatever now you know what yeah, I mean? like well, even all your banking everything it's all done right? yeah <laughs> you can do whatever you need to on there man <laughs> it's it's a wild how far technology's gone that's for sure <laughs> what piece of advice would you give to a bunch of graduates you know who wanted to become entrepreneurs or doing stuff like you honestly you got to take risks healthy risks living a, a completely safe life is uh you know you're never you know uh, we're not always right we're not always wrong but we're never too far off and you got to take healthy risks in order to succeed right and and uh but i don't know there's a there, there's a flip side to everything right and uh it's a personality thing and and um yeah you, you got to be careful though right like this is the way I, the way i grew up we were the cool crowd you know and like we thought we were right and like uh all the fighters and all the all the guys and you know we had all the girls and like uh in trouble stealing and i was in jail four times by the time i was 18 and and uh, just living that kind of uh thug kind of life and you know, and, and part of when I came into uh, recovery, part of recovery is going back and making amends to people. And, and uh, I went back to all those so-called geeks that I, that I was shitty to in, in, uh, in school, and I apologized to every one of them. Because you know what? Just because I thought I was so cool, I had no right to make their life miserable at their expense. You know what I mean? And, and I was... that. That was one of the things when I got sober that I felt the most bad about. I remembered a couple of people, I won't say their names, but I tracked them down and I went back to them and I apologized to them. I was just, you know what? I'm sorry, man. You know, like, sorry I was like that to you at school and, and I had no right. And, and then part of uh, the amends process is to shut up and let them tell you how you make them feel. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to say my piece and I'm going to. I'm going to shut up and I need you to tell me how I made you feel. And this one guy said, Roland, we thought you guys were kind of losers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Like, was everything a delusion in my head? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, people, respect and fear is two different things. Like, we, we had a whole crew of us, right? We were all really tough guys and, like, we fought everybody in and uh, bar fighting and you name it and you know, a lot of those people that just wanted to do their schoolwork and and go home and be quiet and be left alone, you know, who was the smart ones? You know, like uh they 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 weren't when they when they gave a wide berth and got out of my way or our way, whatever you want to call it, they weren't afraid. They just didn't want no part of it. <laughs> they just didn't want the trouble. There's there's a big difference, right? That well, wasn't understood. respect. That wasn't respect. You know, that was, that was healthy fear. It's like, okay, you know, okay, go ahead then, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> but you, at least you, you know, did that and went back and made amends to all of them. <laughs> did you have a good chuckle though, when he did say that you guys thought oh, yeah. you were losers? <laughs> oh yeah, I had lots of good laughs with a bunch of them, eh? And, and uh, delusions of grandeur, they call it. <laughs> delusions of grandeur walking around <laughs> acting all tough or thinking yeah. you were <laughs> yeah 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 so today who do you look for or look to for advice or mentorship um i have a couple of older 
older uh, man in my life that uh, that are really pivotal and uh, really respect what they have to say and um, and I listen to them. And ironically, all nearly probably ninety percent of my best friends are women. It's really important that I find a lot of value in good, strong women, and I'm respectful to that. Hey, like I won't, I won't argue and all that kind of stuff. And like I'm pretty respectful to that. And that women are really, really the women I've had in my life are really, really strong, and they all kind of mimic my ex-wife and my mom, right? Like they all kind of have the same personalities. So that's what you're you're drawn to. That it seems like. Yeah, well, that's the pattern, right? And and the pattern being when you don't have your emotional needs met in the home. You're going to find it somewhere else. And that was my childhood. I never went home for to get my emotional needs, but I went outside of the home. Well, yeah, because it sounded like, because you, I remember you mentioning earlier, your parents were both in the bar all the time. So yeah, you had to go seek attention elsewhere. Yeah. And pr- in the negative way, though. Well, and I was pretty promiscuous uh, teenager, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, like all, yeah. all young men. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's what that is. I'm getting my emotional needs met, right? And uh, everyone's got their personal story, and uh, not everybody's story is the same. And we all have our own unique experiences. And we live and we grow up. And by the time you hit your 30s, you get kind of sick of being acting like you were in your 20s. And women mature a lot faster than guys. So they're usually uh, well on their way, knowing what they want by the time they're 25, right? And <laughs> and I'm not, I'm talking generally, you know what I mean? Like, come on, yeah. talking. And men, so, you know, it takes us a little bit longer to grow up, you know, 30s, 30, mid-30s. And, uh, you know, by then it's like we get sick of sick and tired of being sick and tired too. And it's time to grow up and move on. And Well, I, I look forward to my 40s then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice, buddy. I, I feel free, man. And I feel... I'm clean as the snow is white and I feel free and I feel happy. And it's nice just to be able to go outside. Like I was, you know, a few months clean the last time, like, like this past time, like when I got cleaned up again and I'm just sitting by the river and I was just like, you know, I just really enjoyed watching the ducks go downstream. It was just like, and my, my partner's like, I was like, no, really, I didn't take the time to do any of this shit for like the last 20 years. Yeah. So it just felt amazing to do that, though, man, for sure. The simple things, hey? Just the simple little things in life were great, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So what keeps you interested in your goals and dreams, you know, going forward? Do you have any goals and stuff like that for this year, Roland? I've done a lot of TV, and uh, they've done documentaries on my life and stuff. and, and, uh, And I wrote a book on my life, and my book went worldwide. And I was... This is my book here. Where can people uh, find it? Uh, it's at all the big bookstore chains. And is it on Amazon too? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what's the book titled, Roland? Off the Ropes, My Story. Okay, and it's written by you? Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I, man. I wrote it, but we had a good editor because uh, I don't think my writing would have uh, sold much many books, but uh, <laughs> the Fair editor enough. did a really good job with my writing, yes. And, no, and and, I, and if I were to do that, I would have probably have to do the same. You know what I mean? I'm very creative, but like like yourself, my my writing wouldn't probably sell many books too. <laughs> but my girlfriend would say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She still corrects me on when I use certain words and stuff like that the wrong way. <laughs> 
but yeah, no, yeah, that's no, awesome, man. And how how long ago did that come out? Uh, 2015, I think it was. Yeah, and it's still yeah. selling. You find and yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyways, the uh, and then they did a documentary on my life, uh, and uh, it's called "The Wounded Healer: The Roland Van Nell Story," and that was CBC National did that. Can they find that anywhere? Is it like on YouTube or somewhere we can watch it still? Yeah, it's on CBC Gem. Okay. And then I also have links on it on my website. And that's uh, my website's breakingthechain.ca. And uh, and there's also like uh, I did uh, 23 episodes of uh, Warriors TKO on, on APTN. And, uh, and there's another documentary, Filling the Void. That's on YouTube, and uh, and um, what's the other one called? Uh, yeah, that that one was, was uh, Just TV BNC did that one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, everyone go check out you know these documentaries, and he has a book there. So the book's called again. Off the ropes, my story. Off the ropes, my story, guys, by Vol- <laughs> Roland Vandell. And then right now they're doing, uh, they're actually, there's a famous screenwriter. His name is Jordan Wheeler. And, and I signed, uh, I signed a life rights contract in a book deal or a movie deal with, uh, Julie Jet Productions. And, um, it's, uh, or, or yeah, Juliet Productions. And so they're writing the movie on my life story right now. So it's going to be a feature film based on my book. Well, that's amazing. And someone else is going to act your part though. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how they're going to set that up, but okay, I've done a lot of film and TV, but I'm sure they will. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how they do those things, but are you going to be a part of it, sort of help them go through it, like so it's like told the way you'd like it to be told? Yeah, 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 that's awesome. So, where's that going to be filmed? Uh, Winnipeg here. Oh, that's awesome, man. And when's that due to come out? Well, it hasn't even gone to film yet, they're writing it right now, so. Okay. However long that takes, and these things could fall apart at any time with funding, right? So most definitely, but that that's amazing to see how far it's gone so far. So yeah, yeah. If it's gone this far, I'm sure it'll be, it'll come to fruition. So yeah, no, you, one day at a time with anything, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you for sure. So well, we've come to the end of the show, but before we go, Roland, what are three things you do for yourself on a daily basis for your mental health? I follow through with what I say I'm going to do. I be accountable with my word. And I always do my best. And I got all three of those things from uh, from uh, The Four Agreements. It's one of my favorite books, The Four Agreements. And uh, Who's that by? Um, Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay. And, uh, the Four Agreements is all over the world. Be impeccable with your word. Always do your best. Don't take things personally, and uh, I can't remember the other one. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the other one, but the four agreements, yeah. And that it's a good, good book, though. It's very good, yeah. I'm gonna have to check that one out. That's been written down. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all transformational stuff, right? Well, that's amazing. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And where can everyone find you to go follow you if they'd like on social media? Are you pretty uh, active on there? It's just my name, Roland Vandell, and all the social medias. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, everyone go check out Roland Vandell across Instagram, Facebook, um, sounds like Twitter, wherever he is on social media, he'll be there. And go check out all his documentaries. All right. Thanks, buddy. 
Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, hey, uh, I just wanted to tell you, too, that uh, you have a perfect face for radio. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Roland Vandell and got lots out of it. I know I did. There was so much value packed into this episode, talking about being homeless, living that gang lifestyle, and how he's turned his life around. Now he's the president of a homeless lodge out in Winnipeg. He's been known as one of the top 100 speakers and community leaders in North America and been awarded for that. There's going to be a video coming out soon, a biography on him. That is amazing. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Roland Vandell, though. Please go over and support the podcast on my Instagram page, at Depths of Darkside. Or if you'd like to become a part of the show and share your story, depthsofdarkside at gmail.com. Just drop me an email and let me know, and I'll send you over my link to the calendar and pick a date and time. Now, let's break into a little bit about Friday's guest coming up, Maisie F. She runs all-female ciphers over in Toronto, Ontario. She's the Jill of all trades. We speak about PTSD, mental illness in the black community, and many other great, great topics. Stay tuned to Friday's episode, everyone, with Maisie F. Hope you all have a great rest of your week.